Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're holding in the middle of page 350. And he was explaining how whenever there's a wrestling match, not necessarily the stronger one is going to win, but the one who's more enthusiastic, the one who has more energy, the one who's quicker, who's more alive, is going to win. And the same is with the wrestling match, the inner wrestling match that we have, we face every day between our two souls, even though the godly soul is more powerful and it has all the strength it needs to overcome any challenge that we have, but it's not enough. There's one essential ingredient which is necessary, and that is you have to mix into the mix, you have to put in simcha, joy. You have to stir it with simcha. And the question, the question was that what if a person is not joyful? And there are two things that can take away from a person's joy. One is if a person suffers, a person is in pain, a person suffers physically, suffering. How can you tell a person, be joyful, don't be sad, when you're suffering? And that's what he explained. That's the first thing he addresses. And basically explained that, that although when a person suffers, it's very painful, but nevertheless, the Talmud says, you have to bless Hashem for the suffering, just like you have to bless Hashem for the good news. And the Talmud adds, you have to receive it with joy. How can you receive suffering with joy? So he explained by realizing that everything comes from Hashem, and in a certain sense, the suffering comes from a, a deeper place from within Hashem, a more intimate place. And the analogy is you know, when a person hides himself, when a person restrains themselves, in a certain sense, there's a greater presence in the person's absence than when a person is present. You know, you can tell a lot more about a person, not by what he does, how they express himself self-expression. You can tell a lot more about a person by what they don't do, by what they want to, by their self-restraint. Character is not by what you do, it's by what you won't do. Certain red lines you won't cross. So even though overtly, externally, there's nothing happening, the person is not doing anything. But the ability to say no, the ability to hide, takes a lot more out of the person comes from a much deeper place than when the person is, is present and, and is overtly present and expresses himself. So the ability to restrain yourself, not to express yourself, in a certain sense, is much deeper than when a person expresses himself. For example, if you think of letters, right? What makes the letter? Is it the ink that makes the letter? The ink is what you see. Is it the ink that makes the letter? No. It's the, it's the void. It's the absence. It's what you don't see. 
the space around the letter, that's what makes the letter. But that's very subtle. Otherwise, you would just have a blob of ink from one edge of the paper to the other. It would be meaningless. So what gives the letters of meaning, the definition? It's the absence of ink. It's what's not there. When the sculptor, when he sculpts the sculpture, it's when he removes, it's what he removes that actually creates the picture. There's a whole school of teaching you how to paint, the art. Painting with the right side of your brain. Not by seeing what's there, seeing what's not there, the absence. Healthy vision um, is not by necessarily seeing what's there. It's by seeing the absence, what's not there, seeing around the letter. So it, it, this is a more subtle, but a much more deeper, deeper expression. So in this world, this world is basically, it's a world of darkness, spiritual darkness. God is hidden. There's confusion. It's not a, an illuminated world where everything is transparent. In heaven, everything is transparent. Everything is obvious. There's no need for faith in heaven. Godliness is evident. In this world, God is very hidden. It's called chayshav, darkness. But this darkness actually comes from a very deep place. Because Hashem's ability to hide is much greater than Hashem's ability to reveal Himself. Because Hashem is creating us each and every moment. Our whole substance, our whole being is nothing other than the divine energy. And yet, Hashem is totally hidden. Like absent, we don't feel Him, we don't sense Him. Hashem's ability to restrain Himself is so much greater than Hashem's ability to express Himself. So in the darkness, Hashem is present. And His presence is so much deeper than His presence when, when He re- reveals Himself uh, openly and overtly. Like the Talmudic rabbis say that after the destruction of the first uh, temple, the, the prophets removed the words. Instead of saying, okay, Haggadah, the great one, Agibar, the mighty one, Vanayra, and the awesome one, they, they removed these words. Because how can you call God, who's allowing his temple to be destroyed, his home to be destroyed, and is allowing his people to be dispersed, how can you call him the great one and the mighty one and the awesome one? Where is his greatness? Where is his mighty, his might, and where is his awesomeness? He's allowing his temple to be destroyed. He's allowing his people to be trampled. And it was the rabbis of the great assembly. That's why they were called the rabbis of the great assembly. The great ones, because they reinstituted Hashem's praise. In this one yesterday, they again referred to Hashem as the great one, and the mighty one, and the awesome. Why? Because they said that is his greatness. The fact that God is able to restrain Himself and allow, allow for freedom of choice and allow for His temple to be destroyed and allow for Himself to become apparently absent or we don't sense His presence, that takes the, that's the greatest expression of God's greatness. Hashem is more present in the darkness than He is in the light. But this is a very profound understanding. This is not your superficial understanding. Superficial understanding is when Hashem expresses Himself and things are wonderful and everything is great. So then you, f- you feel Hashem. But when, when you're suffering and you're hurting and it's dark and there's confusion and you don't sense and you don't see the light and you don't see the goodness, all you see is the shadow. But the truth is, if you think into it, you realize. And that's what the Torah uh, demands of us, and the Torah empowers 
the truth, to think into it and to realize Hashem is in the shadow. Hashem is in the darkness. Hashem is in, in the pain and suffering. And it comes from a much in, more intimate part of Hashem. Because everything that comes from Hashem is good. And everything that happens to us is good. But there's a lower level of good. And then there's a higher level of good. And the higher level of good is when a person is going through very trying times, in a way they're touched by a very intimate part of Hashem. And if, if you sense it, if you strip away the surface, and if you really sense the inside, you can feel intimate with Hashem. You can feel an intimacy and a closeness to Hashem that you couldn't feel otherwise. And that's why you thank Hashem, you bless Hashem, even for the suffering, just like you bless Hashem for the, for the good things in life. And you receive it with joy. Not because you're not suffering, of course you suffer. But you realize that this is an expression of a much deeper, more intimate part of Hashem. And you're being touched by a deeper part of Hashem, more intimate part of Hashem. So you feel a closeness. And although physically you're suffering, but you rejoice in that intimacy. You rejoice in that feeling of closeness to Hashem, to God. And therefore, the reward will also be commensurate. When Mashiach will come, Hashem will remove the veil, Hashem will remove the layer, the cover of the sun, and then the sun will emerge in all its glory. And someone who received pain and suffering with joy because he rejoiced in the intimacy of Hashem will be rewarded measure for measure commensurately that he will also rejoice in the intimacy that we will experience when Mashiach will come. And will bask in the rays of the sun, will bask in that, in that intimacy. So the fact that Hashem is refining us, we realize that we're going through, it's a refining process, and that we're being refined. It's not, God forbid, torture or pain for the sake of pain. God forbid. But it's, it's a refinement that elevates us, that elevates our soul and makes us more sensitive, and makes us more loving, and makes us feel Hashem's intimacy, and makes us feel Hashem's presence in a much deeper way, for that we're grateful, for that we're thankful. We ask and pray for Hashem that things should be good, overtly good, tangibly good. Not only the end to be good, but we want the means to the end to also be good. Everything should be good. But... That's going forward to the, for the future. But looking in the past, we have faith in Hashem. That whatever Hashem does is good. He is good. Whatever He does is good. And it's for our good. And as a matter of fact, it's a, it's a much greater sense of... Uh, it's a vote of confidence in God's part that he has, with, he, ha, he has in us. And it's a personal touch of God that He's touching us personally. And, in, and he's becoming intimate with us and speaking with us in a very intimate language. Which appears to us as being darkness and confusion and pain, but the truth is, inside this experience, there is a very, there's a depth and a closeness that we can experience with Hashem. We open ourselves up to it. And we express it by blessing Hashem. Baruch We bless Hashem. We thank, just like we say, Baruch, thank you. For the good, we say, Baruch, and we bless Hashem for the pain and suffering as well. And that's faith. 
So this is the advice that he gives how we can remove any trace of sadness. Because as he said, you can't serve Hashem when you're sad, when your heart is heavy. It's impossible to serve Hashem. You can't serve Hashem properly. You don't have the energy, you don't have the strength to overcome all the difficulties and the challenges. You have to be, you have to feel good about life. You have to feel good about yourself, feel good about life. You have to, you have, to have a very open, your heart has to be open. And you have to have a very positive feeling. Optimistic, hopeful, and a good feeling. If you have a good feeling about life, then you can face the challenges, your inner challenges. And then you can make the right decisions, and then you can overcome any difficulty in challenging me. Now he's going to address the second question. Kalman asked, and that is, what if a person doesn't feel joy because of the poor choices that we make, the poor moral choices that we make? Maybe we didn't, we're not acting the way we should be acting. Maybe we do have something to feel bad about because of poor choices that we make. And we feel terrible about it which robs us of our joy. How can you tell a person to be joyful and be hopeful and be optimistic and be positive and be excited about life? Why should I be excited? I acted horribly. And when it comes to this question, it's a real difficult because here you can say, well, whatever God does is good. Don't worry about it. Because firstly, it's not coming from God. It's my choice. It's my terrible choice that I made. Don't blame it on God. And secondly, what do you mean I shouldn't feel bad about it? Of course you have to feel bad about it. I have to take responsibility for my choices, and I feel bad about my, uh, my bad choices. You can't just tell me, well, nobody's perfect. Don't take it to heart. Be cool about it. Feel carefree about it. No, what do you mean don't take it to heart? I made a choice. I'm a mature adult. I take responsibility for my poor choices. And, I have to, and I'm suffering the consequences. So it robs me of my peace of mind and it robs me of my joy. How can you tell me I, can, I should serve Hashem? I should walk around with a glad heart, with a joyful heart, with a good feeling when I did some horrible things, terrible things. How are you going to address this issue? Common. <laughs> that was a real sigh. Real crash. To return to our original point, when one considers that whatever appears as suffering is actually a higher form of good, he will no longer be saddened or worried by it. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to discuss a different type of sadness that caused by one's failings in matters of the spirit. As for sadness connected with heavenly matters, one must seek ways and means of freeing oneself from it. That this applies to the time of one's divine service is self-evident, for one must serve God with joy and gladness of heart. It goes without saying that if you feel sad while you're studying Torah and while you're praying to Hashem or you're doing a mitzvah, so you understand that at a moment like that, you have to get rid of your sadness. You can't pray to Hashem and be joyful. You can't study Torah with a clear mind if your heart is so heavy, if you feel terrible about yourself and you feel horrible. You don't have the, the mind to study Torah at that time. You don't have the energy to do a mitzvah if you're feeling terrible. So we understand that it's important to get rid of any sadness, any trace of sadness you may be experiencing at that moment. But you may think maybe the rest of the day, when you're going about your business, maybe you should feel sad about your 
moral cho- immoral choices or your terrible choices or th- who says who says that it's that there's something wrong with feeling sad at a moment like that maybe during as you go about your regular day maybe it's okay to feel sad about um, the choices that we made so he says no continue but even one who is occupied in business and worldly affairs should there descend upon him any sadness or anxiety about heavenly matters during his business affairs it is certainly a trick of the evil inclination which saddens him, ostensibly for spiritual reasons, in order to lure him afterwards into lusts, God forbid, as is well known. It is man's nature to seek pleasure and not to remain depressed. If his feeling of spiritual failure distresses him, he will seek his pleasure in physical gratification. The evil inclination therefore wishes that one be depressed be it even over spiritual matters, so that he will later succumb to temptation. So if someone whose main engagement is studying Torah all day, so he's constantly serving God, okay, so he has to get rid of any trace of, of sadness in his heart. But what about someone who goes about his business, who most of his time is engaged in his business, his career? So he says, even such a person, if suddenly, in the middle of his business, he starts thinking about his terrible choices and starts feeling sad with a heavy heart, you should know where it's coming from. Where is it coming from? It's a coming from Yetzirah. It's not coming from a wholesome place. It's not coming from a good place. Why? Why would the Yetzirah suddenly bombard you with feelings of self-deficiency and feelings of insecurity and feelings of, of, of failure and feelings of sadness and heaviness, heaviness of heart? And... By the way, we're not talking about, we know that the Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers that, that every day a heavenly voice comes out from heaven and says, you know, woe to those who don't study Torah. And that the Baal Shem Tov said that this explains the sudden thoughts that we have as we go about our business. In the middle of the day, suddenly we have thoughts of Teshuvah, holy thoughts. So here he's saying that if suddenly in the middle of business you're thinking about your your uh, misdeeds uh, or your failures, that you should dismiss him. And here the Baal Shem Tov said that on the contrary, it's these, have, have these thoughts that fall in, that enter into our mind suddenly out of nowhere as we go about our daily business, it actually comes from a heavenly place. But the answer is, we're talking about two different things. A thought that comes from a heavenly voice is an uplifting thought. It's an ins- inspiring thought. It's like a brilliant flash of lightning. It's an illumination. Suddenly your soul lights up. It's like you light up. You're on fire. You're enthusiastic. Here we're talking about something that depresses you. Something that's heavy-hearted and causes you to feel heavy and causes you to feel sad. That's not coming from a healthy place. That's coming from Yetzirah. Why would the Yetzirah suddenly tell you to start thinking about all your misdeeds and all your negative choices? What does he gain from it? Seemingly, it's something very spiritual. You're thinking about your, your, your moral state. What's, what's wrong? What, what negative can possibly result from thinking about taking stock of your life, taking stock of your spiritual life, where you are morally and ethically and spiritually? So he says, yes, there is a very negative consequence that could result. And that's what motivates the Yetzirah. And that is 
that when a person is feeling sad, the person by nature wants to feel good about himself and about life. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy life. What happens when you feel terrible and you feel sad and you feel worthless and you feel how tragic your situation is or you feel terrible about yourself? That can lead a person. When a person is feeling so miserable about himself, you have to feel good. So you'll do whatever it takes to make you feel good. So therefore you'll indulge. Why do most people overeat? It's not because they're hungry. They're not feeling good about themselves. So they compensate by, by sitting and eating. It, it, it's, it's an emotional fix that they need because they feel worthless and they feel horrible about themselves and feel terrible. So they, they have to eat. It's an emotional attachment. Nothing to do with eating, nothing to do with food, nothing to do with anything. And, or any addiction. But many addictions are because a person feels so worthless about himself. A person feels so miserable that, that he just grabs the, the, the whatever. Some people it's, it's alcohol, some people it's smoking, and some people it's whatever it is. But it's that fix that they need just to feel good. They have to feel pleasurable again. They just have to feel the pleasure of life. You can't go around all day feeling worthless and miserable and horrible about yourself. So whatever gives you pleasure. Some people is eating, and some people is smoking, and some people is drinking, and other people is other things. But whatever addictive behavior is really results from a sense, a real inner sense of worthlessness. And you can't live with yourself. You can't. It's, it's too painful. You can't walk around thinking I'm worthless and feeling I'm worthless. And feeling miserable. So you have to compensate. So you need your fix to feel good. Whatever makes you feel good. And gives you pleasure. So because the Yetzirah, your ego, your evil inclination wants you. Wants to, many times he's not even thinking about this. What he cares about is he wants you to feel worthless. And that's why he's throwing into your mind. Suddenly, middle of a business, he's throwing into your mind all these holy thoughts. Suddenly you start taking spiritual stock of yourself. <laughs> and... Uh, and um, in order, just in order to, 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 to make you depressed. And once you're depressed, then he has you exactly where he wants you. Now you're depressed, now you're going to do what he wants you to do. Okay. You're going to self-destruct, you're going to succumb. Because you don't have the strength, you don't have the energy, you don't have the strength to fight. I'm feeling horrible, I'm feeling miserable, I need my fix, I need something to feel good. And then you're lost, and you're out of control, and you're addicted, and you're on a self-destructive spiral. That's exactly where he wants you. He's not your friend. <laughs> Everything is very clever. It's, it's with a tactic. It's a very clever tactic. Okay. But then he says, okay, maybe it's a possibility. Maybe it's one possibility out of many possibilities. Maybe it's a sincere, honest, soul-searching that suddenly grips you in the middle of the day as you're sitting in your office or you're going about your business and your career. Suddenly you're thinking holy thoughts. Where am I at? Where's my spiritual life? What am I doing with my life? What, what are the choices that I make? That I make positive, wholesome choices? That I make poor choices? Maybe it maybe could be a positive explanation. How do I know for sure that this is coming from a negative place? It's not coming from a good place, a wholesome place. So he brings the proof. Continue. For if it were not so that this depression is the doing of the Yetzer Hara, whence would a genuine sadness, one that is derived from love or fear of God, come to him in the midst of his business affairs? Why is it? I mean, when was the last time 
when you were enjoying a delicious meal or watching uh, your favorite movie, you know, would you suddenly start thinking <laughs> about your moral, <laughs> your moral life and what's happening with my life? It, it's only when you're just going about your business, suddenly all these thoughts are popping into your head. So wh- where is this coming from? Why all of a sudden, the middle, the middle of, middle of your regular day, why all of a sudden are you becoming obsessed about, and becoming demoralized and depressed about about your your spiritual state of being? Right, mitten derinen. So obviously, it's not coming from a good place. It's not coming from a healthy place. It's not coming from a wholesome place. It's not meant for you, your your, your well being. It's meant to depress you and to demoralize. It's like when you're fighting the enemy, one of the ways of fighting the enemy is demoralizing the enemy. It's a very important part of war. Not just the physical fighting, it's to demoralize the enemy. And this is a very, very effective because I'm feeding on your own weakness. Because no one can criticize us like we can criticize ourselves. <laughs> if you ever listen to the if you ever listen to the tape in our brain, in our heads. Our worst enemies wouldn't treat us where we, we can treat ourselves sometimes. Where we tear ourselves down and berate ourselves and knock ourselves and just destroy ourselves. I mean, like viciously, without mercy, without Rahmanas. To browbeat us into submission. To, if, it's, it's very pathetic. If, that's, if you think that's what's going to take to get you to shape up and to do the right thing by beating up on yourself and lashing out on yourself and tearing yourself into a million pieces and destroying yourself in your own eyes until you feel like worthless and garbage. And that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very poor motivation, period. But where is this coming from? Middle of nowhere, out of the blue, as you're going about your daily business, all of a sudden you're thinking about your spirituality and, 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 and your moral state of being. And it's completely demoralizing. Because that's exactly what the Yetzirah wants. He wants to demoralize you. He demoralizes you. And if you walk around with a heavy heart and you don't feel joy in your heart and you don't feel excited and you don't feel enthusiastic about life and you don't feel up to the challenge, that's when you succumb. You succumb, you act in ways that's self-destructive, that's detrimental to yourself. That's when you become addicted. That's when you go to your next fix. And it's, it's, it's a spiral, it's a spiral, it's a dead end. And, um, and that's a very dangerous dangerous spiral. So he says, you have to be aware. If suddenly these thoughts enter your mind, not only when you learn Torah and do mitzvah, that we understand that you have to get rid of these thoughts in the middle of learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. But even if these thoughts enter your mind as you go about your daily life, in the middle of the day, you have to dismiss these thoughts. It's not the time and it's not the place. David, you want to continue? Since a genuine sadness. Since a genuine sadness is an expression of love or fear of God, it should express itself at a time when these emotions are active, during prayer, Torah study, and the like, but not during one's business. Clearly, then, the sadness is artificial, created by the Yetzer Hara for its own purposes, and one must therefore rid himself of it. So you can't just follow every urge and every instinct. You have to be critical. You have to think a moment. Where is this coming from? You can't say, well, it's a positive thought. I'm thinking about holy things. It's wonderful. In the middle of the day, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, in the middle of a Wednesday, I'm sitting in my office and suddenly thinking about my Torah study and my prayer and, uh, and my, my character. It's wonderful. No, no, no. It's not so wonderful. <laughs> wrong time, wrong place. What's the motive behind this? This is not coming from a healthy, wholesome place. Dismiss the thought. Go back to your book. Go back to your business. 
There's a time and place, which is, what is the time and the place? Whether the depression settles upon him during his service of God in Torah study or prayer, or when he is not engaged thus, but with his material affairs, this is what he should consider. Quote, now is not the proper time for genuine sadness, nor even for worry over grave sins, God forbid, end quote. For this, one must set aside opportune times, when the mind is calm, to reflect on the greatness of God against whom he has sinned, so that thereby his heart will truly be rent with genuine bitterness, i.e. bitterness, remorse, as opposed to depression. The former is alive and active, while the latter is resigned and dead. It is explained elsewhere when this time should be. This is usually before a person goes to sleep, when you make an accounting for the entire day or the end of the week, or before Rosh Chodesh, you make an accounting for the whole month. There are special times, or at midnight, there are special times that are set aside. And it's something that you create, something that you, you choose the time, and you actively evoke, stir up within yourself a feeling of remorse. First you think about the greatness of Hashem. Once you think about the greatness of Hashem and you evoke a feeling of love and attraction to Hashem, then you think that, look, I have sinned against my soul. I have sinned against the divine spark inside of me. Look what I have done. There's something, I have something so beautiful inside of me. I have this loving relationship with Hashem. Why would I mess it up? Why did I make such poor choices? Why would I do something that's so harmful? Then you can evoke a genuine regret. Then you can feel sad, you can feel sorry. But there's a life to the sorriness. It's, a, it's alive. It's, this is wholesome. This is coming from a good place. Because of course a person has to take stock of, stock of his life. You can't just be carefree and go around whistling and smiling and everything is wonderful and everything is good. A person has to be mature, a person has to be responsible, a person has to take responsibility for his life and you have to be honest with yourself. You have to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You have to know exactly what's going on in your life. And you have to take responsibility for the choices that you make and try to improve them. And the ugly you have to get rid of, period. The bad is something you can improve on or change. And the good you have to make even better. So there, there is a time and a place. A person does have to sit down and take stock of his life and know his strength and work on the strength and make it even better. Sharpen the strengths. You should shine even more. And then you have to know your weak points and strengthen them. Then you have to know those defective parts that have to be, dis that have to be discarded because they can't be fixed. They're just negative behaviors, abrasive, arrogant behavior that just, just is inexcusable and it's just wrong, immorally immoral and just wrong. And, and don't try to make it better. Just walk away from it. You know, you have 20 million recovering alcoholics in America. There's many behaviors you can overcome. Negative behaviors that are completely self-destructive, don't do any good for you, and you just have to get rid of it. It's not that you can't fine-tune it, you can't refine it. There's some things in your life which you have to, which are toxic and are no good for you, and you just have to walk away from it. Or, or... So you have to know yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to know the good, and you have to know the weak, and you have to know the negative. So there is a time, and of course when you do that type of self-reflection, it, it causes you a sadness. Your heart is all agitated. You're upset, and you're sad, and you're bitter, you feel bitter, that you have these, these spiritual illnesses inside of you, and you have to deal with it, and of course it causes your heart a certain sadness. But you are proactive, you are choosing the time and the space, and there is a context. 
I am doing it because first I understand the greatness of Hashem and I understand I have a relationship with Hashem. And then you measure your life in that, in that, um, in that context. What am I doing in my life to strengthen that relationship? What am I doing in my life that's weakening that relationship? What do I have to get rid of in my life? But then there's a context, there's, a, there's an energy. It, it's a vibrant, dynamic, dynamic uh, type of uh, um, process. And that's full of life and energy. And even then, he says, continue, this is also explained. There, it is also explained that immediately after his heart has been broken, during those appointed times, he should completely remove the sorrow from his heart. And he should believe with perfect faith that God has erased his sin and that, quote, he pardons abundantly, end quote. Thus, even if one has sinned repeatedly against him, God will readily forgive him as though he had sinned for the first time. Unlike man, who easily forgives a first offense, but finds it difficult to do so when the offense is oft repeated. When you choose the time and space, and you're proactive, and you go through this process of regret, and feeling sad about your sorry spiritual state, in your personal spiritual state, but immediately afterwards, you have to remove the sadness from your heart, and you have to feel joy. Knowing that Hashem has forgiven you. How do I know? Maybe not. Why am I so confident that Hashem has forgiven me? Because that's also part of the Yetzirah. Yetzirah wants to keep you sad. Because he has a greater chance of striking, of striking it rich when you're sad and you're depressed and you're down than when you're joyful and you're upbeat. Up, up then, he, then he has no access to you. When you're joyful and upbeat and positive... He can't approach you. You feel good. You feel good about life. Why would anyone who feels good about life do, do anything wrong? If you feel good about yourself, you feel good about life, you feel, you feel positive about your relationship with Hashem, you feel you have something precious. When a person has something precious, why would you do anything to soil it? Why would you do anything to destroy it? Would you walk into a beautiful home? Imagine you were living in the most beautiful home. Would you just take the garbage and dump it out, out in that beautiful home and destroy the carpet, even though maybe you could, take a, you could clean it out if you call the proper people and you pay the right amount of money? You can probably clean, out, clean up the mess. But would you even do it? Would you take something so beautiful and destroy it? So when you feel life is beautiful, and life is precious, and your soul is precious, and you have a precious relationship with Hashem, why would I go with my own hands and destroy and act, just like you have junk food, act in a junk lifestyle? Why would I think in a way that's not Jewish, or speak in a way that's not Jewish, or act in a way that's not Jewish, something that's immoral and unethical? And why would I do it? Why would I take something so precious and special and destroy it? I wouldn't. So the Yetzirah knows that his chances of success when the Jew is upbeat and enthusiastic and optimistic and hopeful and excited, is very, is very, is very nil. It's very low. So he wants to keep you in a depressed state. When you're depressed and you're down and you have the blues and you're, you're down on yourself and you beat up on yourself. And, and he doesn't have to do it. Once we start beating up on ourselves, there's no, there's no one that does it better than ourselves. We tear ourselves apart and when we feel so down and we feel so worthless, then, then it's open season. Then you can then we'll do whatever, whatever, any urge, any, we don't have the strength to resist temptation, we don't have the strength, then we'll do something that will make us feel good, even though we know it's self-destructive. So that's also part of the Yetzirah. 
the right thing to do is the, once you went, go through this process of self-examination, of soul-searching, you have to have faith that Hashem is good, Hashem is kind. Hashem is not vindictive. God is not vindictive. If He sees that we're sincere and we ask His forgiveness and we take stock of our situation and we take responsibility for our situation and we feel sad about our situation and we turn to Hashem and say, please, I'm sorry, forgive me. We have to have faith that Hashem has forgiven us. And Hashem's forgiveness is not like human forgiveness. Human forgiveness, as Alter Rebbe explains in the fourth part of Tanya, human forgiveness is limited. If someone asks you forgiveness once, you forgive them. Twice, I'll forgive them. Three times, maybe. The fourth time, <laughs> that's it. You're doing the same sin over and over and over again. There's a limit to my, to my forgiveness. But Hashem is infinite. So for Hashem... A thousand times and a million times and one time is all the same. So just like you can forgive the first time, Hashem will forgive us the millionth time just like He forgave us after the first time. That's why we can say each and every day, three times a day, Salah please God forgive me. We ask Hashem for forgiveness, like we learned earlier, for the three most common sins, which is almost impossible for a human not to, not to violate. One of them is studying Torah every moment. It's almost impossible. So even though we sin between each and every time we ask Hashem for forgiveness, Hashem forgives us again. Even though we ask endless times. And we're going to do it again. But if we're sincere, and we ask Hashem sincerely, and it bothers us, and it troubles us, and it hurts us, and we're in pain, and we ask Hashem, please Hashem, forgive me, I'm sorry. Hashem forgives us. And a Jew has to have faith that Hashem forgives. And be joyful about it. Feel good. And if we don't feel good, that's also part of the Yitzhar. You have to realize that Hashem is good. Hashem is kind. Torah is life. Torah is good. Hashem is good. And in the world, Hashem created a good world. And we are good. And He wants us to be good. And He wants us to succeed. And He wants us to do the right thing. And deep down, we want to do the right thing. And deep down, the whole world wants us to do the right thing. So... We messed up, okay. You ask forgiveness, you realize your mistake, you pick yourself up, and we are proactive and we go further. And we try to grow and we try to change. One step at a time, one baby step forward. It's not where you are on the ladder, it's which direction you're going. As long as you're growing, as long as you're moving forward, as long as you, you take one step forward. That's all Hashem asks of us. Hashem doesn't ask of us the impossible. We're human. But it's which direction? As long as you go forward, grow, change, move forward, one baby step at a time, push yourself a drop. So as long as we're trying, and we're improving, and we're growing, and then, we're, then we're connected, and Hashem forgives us. So this is part of our faith. We have to have faith in Hashem that He will forgive us, and therefore we have to be joyful. Okay, conclude this knowledge. This knowledge that God has surely cleansed him of his sins is the true joy in God which follows the sadness, as explained above, that the advantage of sadness lies in the joy to which it gives rise. And this is what Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, means that Bechol that in every sadness he sees an advantage. As he explained, in the sadness alone there is no advantage. Sadness is no good. Sadness is no good. You have to run away from sadness as far as possible. Because sadness leads, leads to depression. You feel dejected. 
you feel depressed, you feel worthless, and you can't stop thinking about yourself. It's very selfish and self-centered as well, and self-absorbed when you're sad, constantly sad. So nothing good will come out of it per se. It's only out of sadness there could be an advantage. Out of this type of sadness, when the sadness is in a very controlled time, a very limited time, and it's controlled, and it's conscious, and in the right context, and it's something that you're doing proactive, and then it's something that's very energetic and enthusiastic, then that's, that's like a medicine, a bitter medicine, a, pay, a pill that can lead to health, that can lead to the joy that results of it. Because when a person, it's like a cathartic, when a person cleanses his heart, when a person feels that you, you know, you feel cleansed and you feel, now I'm able to overcome that sadness, now I'm able to serve Hashem with a complete heart, with a whole heart, with a joyful heart. So that's the advantage that results from this type of sadness. The sadness itself is, is not a positive thing. But if it's done judiciously in the right amount, in the right measurement, just like uh, medicine or drugs, if it's, if, it's, um, if it's given in the right amount, in the right time, in the right place, then it could lead to health. It can lead to something advantageous. But alone, no one sits down to eat medicine. Alone is poison. Alone is not something you just take. It's not part of your diet. It's not part of your regular diet. Your regular diet has to be joy, simcha. At all times, not only when you're studying Torah and doing mitzvot, even when you're going about your business. In general, you walk around it, you have to feel good. Your heart has to be clear. You have to feel hopeful, optimistic, positive, no matter what happens externally. Whether you're suffering materially, or even if you're suffering, spirit, suffering spiritually. You feel terrible about yourself. You're suffering spiritually. If you have an angst, you made some terrible choices in life. You did some terrible things in your life. You feel horrible about yourself. That should not be part of your diet. That's not the way you should feel on a regular basis. Person, it's essential that a person always feels simcha, walk around with a joyful heart and with an open heart and a clear heart. Then there are moments and there are times that you do need to feel the atzvus. You do need to feel this bitterness. And that bitterness will clear the heart clear the arteries, spiritual arteries, and get the blood pumping again. So that's the advantage that comes as a result, because the joy that comes after this bitterness is much more intense and much more powerful than if a person did not have to deal with, these, with this negativity. So there is an advantage of dealing with the negativity, but at the right time, at the right place. And very careful. You have to be very careful about it. It's to be very minimal and just enough, not too much, when you administer medicine, you have to be very careful. No overdose. So no overdose of bitterness, no overdose of, of, of sharpness, no overdose of, of, of sadness. Just at the right, at the right uh, measurement. And then that will lead to, to joy. And um, amongst Hasidim, this was a very, very essential point. In the next two chapters, he's also going to discuss, in chapter 27 and 28, he's going to discuss if a person has anxiety over sinful thoughts and desires. If a person has anxiety, why he's having all these sinful, sinful thoughts and desires, unwholesome desires, unwholesome 
uh, urges and instincts and he feels sad about it and anxious about it. Uh, he's going to discuss it in chapter 27. He's going to discuss if a person um, um, has these negative thoughts, if he's bombarded by these negative thoughts uh, while he's going about his regular business day. And chapter 28 is going to discuss if a person is, becomes anxious about negative thoughts that enter into your mind during prayer and during the studying of Torah, when you're engaged in holy, holy activity and suddenly all these negative thoughts uh, um, enter your mind and it gives you anxiety that you're having all these thoughts. What kind of monster are you? What kind of person are you? How could you be having such lewd, such horrible thoughts in the middle of the holiest moment? You're standing in the middle of the Shemonesri, you're talking to Hashem and suddenly at that moment you have all these, all these negative thoughts. So he's going to discuss how do you deal with, with the anxiety that can cause a person tremendous amount of anxiety. And, and then, then afterwards he's going to discuss how a person deals with a heaviness of heart. When a person just doesn't feel any inspiration, any enthusiasm, you just feel dead inside. And nothing you do really could, you don't feel alive, you just feel like dead. Nothing touches you, nothing moves you, nothing inspires you. And this is something that every, every human being goes through. You know, you have ups and you have downs, and there are moments when you have dry spots. That, there are moments that everything you hear moves you, inspires you, excites you. And then you're the same person, you know, but you, you can hear the same thing. It doesn't move you, it doesn't inspire you. So how do you get through those rough patches when your heart seems to be clogged and your heart seems to be closed and nothing really, really gets to you? Um, but he, he's, he's elaborating on this concept, starting with this chapter, chapter 26, and for the next few chapters, because this is an essential, this was actually a characteristic of the Hasidim. The Hasidim, the first generation, before they were called Hasidim, were called the joyous ones. Smechim, they were the joyous ones. That was the nature of a Hasid. How can you tell a Hasid? You can tell a Hasid a mile away. You look at his nose, there's, there's a joy, there's a... There's a Hopefulness, there's an optimism, there's a love of life, there's, you know, life is precious, life is beautiful, you are beautiful, Hashem's world, God's world is beautiful, God is beautiful, loving, kind, good, gentle, and you see a beautiful world. And everything is done gently and beautifully and lovingly and joyfully and with enthusiasm and excitement. It's a whole different attitude, a whole different approach to life. And when you're joyful, you're less likely to sin. It's a fact. You feel great. Why, why would I mess it up? Why would I, why would I soil it with my own hands? Why would I take garbage and dump it? Why would I allow these thoughts in, into my mind? Why would I allow negative thoughts into my mind? I have something so beautiful. And it's like dumping up garbage on my... On my why would I do it? You're less likely. You're not open to it. You're not so vulnerable. When you're feeling worthless and sad and depressed, you're very vulnerable. You don't have the strength. You can't resist. Your resistance is completely down. Your immune system is completely down. If you have no immune system, the slightest bug can, can kill you. So if you have no immune system, the smallest thing can knock you out. can knock you dead. So joy is our immune system. When you're joyful... The more vibrant you are, the more alive you are, the more alert you are, the more excited you are, the more wholesome and just your heart is open, the more 
a healthier your immune system. You can you can withstand, resist any bug, any 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 negativity. You can deal with it, and you can just brush it off. And you're resilient, and you can overcome. But when your immune system is down, when you're sad and heavy and depressed, and you feel worthless and dejected, and then your immune system is gone. Your immune system is gone. The smallest thing will knock you out. In the earlier chapter, did they talk about the opposite uh, problem, like of denial, like in terms of you know things can be spiritually tough, or, but you're not really in touch with you're not in touch with it. So it's like you feel joy because you might say, "Oh, Shem loves you, and it's all good." You know, you you really have that sense, so that things that you don't do correct, you're not in touch with that those feelings. So in a way, it's not like you feel bad about it. You're just like, "Oh, well, okay." I'm not maybe not doing 100%, but God loves me and it's all good. So it's like almost the flip side of... So that, that's not an advantage. That comes from a, a lack of understanding. And, um, you know, that could be another reason. He's saying that there has to be a time and a place. And first you have to meditate on the greatness of Hashem. In other words, to appreciate the sin... First, you have to realize the greatness of Hashem. Then you can appreciate that you sinned against Hashem. It was like, it was like the famous story, the king wanted to punish this person. He rebelled against the king and he wanted to punish him. So what did he do? First, he appointed him as minister. He appointed him as minister and he elevated him from position to position and then, and then he hanged him. <laughs> he says, first I wanted you, you should realize what you rebelled against. Before, you had no idea what you did. You know, you trampled in the king. It meant nothing to you. You couldn't kill less. Now that you're up close, now that you know what it means, now you realize what you've done. Now, um, I'm going to punish you. So, the idea is, you're right. In a way, first, to appreciate the sin, to appreciate that there's a problem, first you have to be elevated. You have to, you have to appreciate what godliness is. You have to appreciate what Hashem is. You have to appreciate the reality of God. And you have to appreciate your relationship with God. Then you can genuinely feel bad about, about, about what you've done. But before that, you know, you, know, you don't really appreciate it. So I, I'm going to mean I sinned. What happened? What did I do? What's so terrible? Who cares? What difference does it make? Why does it matter? I didn't hurt anyone. As long as I don't hurt anyone. Right? Well, I didn't hurt anyone. What did I do? I didn't hurt anyone. So what's the big deal? Until only when you, when you meditate and reflect on the greatness of Hashem and you realize that you hurt yourself and you realize you hurt the divine spark inside of yourself and you realize that you hurt this relationship that you have with a God and that you hurt Hashem and that you hurt the whole universe and you realize what you've done then, then now you can feel sad. Now you can feel, now you can feel regret. Now you can feel, oh, Gewalt, what did I do? What did the Rebbe say? What's, what's genuine regret? He says, you want to know what genuine regret is? He says, it was uh, the olden days. How did they get the, how did they get the uh, logs from the woods, the forest to the city? They would, they would take it down the river. They would tie it up in bundles and they would take it down the river. Now, sometimes it would make it. <laughs> sometimes it wouldn't. If there was a lot of snow and there was a lot of um, the snow melted and the river was overwhelmed, then the, the logs would just disappear, would just uh, capsize. And um, 
there was this wealthy person and he cut all these logs and he wanted to get it down the river and all his friends were telling him, don't, the water is too, is too dangerous. But he was very greedy, he wanted to get his money immediately, he didn't pay heed to his advice. And he went, and he himself, he's on the logs, you know, they tied him together and he's rowing the logs. And all of a sudden there was a swell, swelling in the middle of the river. And the whole thing capsized and he drowns. And as he's drowning, he's yelling, Oh, you give up. He regrets his decision. What a fool I was. That's, that's genuine regret. Because when you realize, when you realize what you've done, and you realize the consequences of your actions, and then you really regret. I was a, why did I do this? I was foolish. What was I thinking? It's so ridiculous. So, but it's only when you appreciate, when you can feel and sense the relationship you have with Hashem. And you can feel and sense the divine spark that's located at the center of your own being. And godliness becomes real for you. Then you realize, I did something ungodly. I did something to harm myself, to damage myself, to destroy myself. What was I thinking? So foolish, ridiculous. Why would I do something like that? If I would have known then what I know now, I would never have done it. Why would I hurt myself like this? For a moment's pleasure? Junk food? Junk lifestyle? For what? I killed myself for that? Was it worth it? That moment's pleasure? Was it worth it? To destroy myself? Destroy my health? Destroy myself? It wasn't worth it. I wasn't thinking. I didn't realize what was at stake. I thought, who cares? Big deal. What difference does it make? So you eat junk food, as long as I don't hurt, as long as I don't hurt anyone. <laughs> but then you realize I'm killing myself. Is it worth it? Of course not. But you don't, until you realize and you feel what's involved and what's at stake, it means nothing to you. So you're right, you can't really feel regret. You, couldn't, you really couldn't care less. I mean, it, it, it's not a reality to you. But once you feel and you realize what's at stake and what's involved, and you realize that I lived a junk lifestyle, for what? A moment's pleasure? For this I gave up? My soul, and I destroyed my soul, and I, I damaged and harmed this beautiful thing that I have inside of me. Why would I do this? So once you feel the reality of that, then you can genuinely regret, feel regret, and, and like a stab in your heart, and if you, feel, you feel bad. But that's a cleansing, and that's the, the catharsis. And then when you ask Hashem for forgiveness, Hashem forgives you, and it wipes, it wipes it away, it cleanses it unclogs and then the circulation flows again and then you feel alive you feel joyful you feel you can face life again with a clean slate you can start over again you can always reconnect and start over again and it's brand new and it's fresh you know it never it doesn't wear down and that's the advantage of the the digital age Never, never wears, never wears down. It's always clean, and it's always it starts lower again. It's not like the, the the vinyl, the plastic, which you know destroyed after a while. Electricity, you can always clean the hard drive, and you have a brand new, brand new, fresh, <laughs> fresh start, as if as if it's day one. So it gets cluttered after a while. The hard drive gets cluttered. So you have to, you need a cleansing. You need a, even even if everything is running smoothly. 
At least once a year we have Yom Kippur. Once a year, if you use your computer once a year, those who know, you have to clean your computer once a year. You have to totally wipe away the whole system, reinstall everything so it's like brand new, because things get cluttered just by usage. By using it every day, and it, it slows down. The machine gets slowed down, and things get cluttered. You just wipe the, the slate clean, and you start fresh. So when you ask Hashem for forgiveness, and you take out the time during these designated times, and you're proactive, and you, in this context of understanding and appreciating godliness, feeling the reality of godliness, it becomes a reality to you. And then you realize what you've done, and realize the implications of what you've done. And then you ask Hashem for forgiveness, you wipe the, the slate clean, and you start fresh all over again. So it's a wonderful, also it's a very optimistic way of looking at life. That even if I sinned, and even if I did something terrible, and even if I did something horrible, and I did, I can always start all over again. I can, it's always a new beginning. No matter what happened, I can always start all over again. I'm never stuck. I can always change. I can always fresh start. God is infinite, and God is always ready to start all over again. Fresh, clean. Let's start again. Don't be dejected. Don't, don't feel down. Don't. You can always start over again. That, that's, you know, that's why uh, Jewish people are from the most optimistic people on earth. Because we have this very optimistic attitude. A realistic attitude. We're human and we inevitably will make mistakes. But no matter what, you can always, always turn to Hashem with genuine regret and ask forgiveness, and we'll, obtain, we'll get that forgiveness. And we can always start. And, um, so that's also part of the joy. Because the, the teshuva could also be done with joy. The teshuva, the joy that you can, you can clean up the mess. You can, you can start again. It's not like, it's not like there's a, um, you know, in, in very childish penal systems, when they penalize you, it's a mark forever. It's on your record forever, and it's a, it's a stain that will last forever and ever. In the Jewish way of life, in the Torah way of life, there's no such thing. You did something wrong, you make amends. You get your punishment, your atonement, you're cleansed, and then you move on. It's not like a stain that lasts forever and for the rest of your life you're going to be humiliated and degraded and looked down upon. No, no, no. You made your amends. You cleaned up your act. Right to your foot. Start. Let's go. Let's, today's a new day. Forget about Let's start over again. So, you know, this is a very enlightened and very advanced and very hopeful way of looking at life and looking at yourself. And... Um, you know, life is very real. And what we do is very real. But we can also make amends. We can also change. Because life is dynamic. Life is vibrant. We are recreated each and every moment. So each and every moment is really a brand new moment. What happened yesterday, a moment ago, is right now you're recreated. So if you tap into that energy, if you tap into that dynamic, then every moment could be brand new. No matter what happened a moment till now. Because sometimes we get caught in the moment and we think that feeling bad, that's natural. Because most of the time we feel bad. 
So we feel that that's natural. It's the occasional rare moment when we feel like a moment of grace. You wake up and you feel great and wonderful and at peace. And the whole, you feel whole in the world. You're, you're at peace with the world. Everything, the sun is shining. The world is beautiful. And then it fades away and disappears. Easy come, easy goes. But those moments are so precious and few and far in between. Most of the time, most people walk around with a heavy heart. Like always with a sense of sadness lurking in the background. And we get used to it, as if that's normal. We forget what normal is. So he's telling us here, in chapter 26, he's telling us, you know what normal is? Normal is to be joyful. That's normal. That's our natural state of being. Hopeful, optimistic, positive, because life is dynamic, life is vibrant. This is consistent with the whole Hasidic philosophy, with the whole Jewish understanding of reality. That God creates the world each and every moment. If God creates the world each and every moment, then He recreates us each and every moment. We are being recreated, our emotions are being recreated each and every moment. And therefore, when, 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 unless you stop that process, unless you become frozen, and rigid and egotistical. Once you flow with that process, then life naturally is wholesome and positive and joyful. And you feel good. So the only natural state of being is really wholesome and natural and, and, whole, and good and joyful. It's, it's feeling sad and dejected and down, which is completely unnatural. So yes, there are, there are moments when it's necessary. There is a time and a place for that. Very, very few and far in between. Very few. And you have to use it very judiciously. And don't overdose it. But what is the natural state of being? Don't forget for a moment, the natural, our natural state of being is good. Feeling whole and feeling good. The exact opposite of the way we, we've come to think. You know, we think that it's natural to feel down and to feel blue and to feel constantly dejected, to feel... The feelings only occasionally that we feel inspired or we feel good or we feel the moment of grace. He's telling us, no, just the opposite. You must remember. And this is essential in a Jew's service of God. You must remember that the natural state of being is good and joyful. Don't forget for a moment, no matter how much you sin, no matter what happened in your life, the natural state of being is to feel natural, to feel good and whole. Everything else is an aberration, a distortion. And if you plug into that, you can start over again, each and every moment. And then you'll, you'll clean up the mess. Yes, there are things that you've done. You've done things that are harmful. Can't pretend you have. And there's a time to clean up the mess. There's a time to deal with that. But the attitude has to be, you have to approach it in a... You know, when a person is ill, there's two ways to deal with the illness. There's the conventional medicine, the pathological approach to medicine, and then there's the holistic approach to medicine. The pathological approach to medicine is you're sick. <laughs> you're so sick, you don't even know how sick you are. And we deal with the sickness. So in the meanwhile, you're wallowing in sickness. The whole focus is sickness. And if you weren't sick before, by the time you're through, <laughs> you'll become so sick. Because you're thinking sickness, and you're immersed in sickness, and, and you're immersed in sickness, and you're surrounded by sickness. So that alone is enough to make you sick. And to, and <laughs> to worsen your situation. To amplify your sickness. Then there's the holistic approach. 
holistic approach is essentially you're healthy. Because God created you. And you have this infinite ability inside of you to be healthy and to regenerate health. Even people who are dying have the ability to, re- to regenerate health. The, the amount of health in the body is so astounding that despite all the abuse that the body takes from the moment we're born and the food that we eat and everything we do, well, the body is amazing. You know what they say when a person, when the, when the organism is working 99, is functioning 99% functioning. You know what they call such a person? dead. Even when a person is about to die, because the body is such an amazing, because Hashem created life, and the body is such an amazing regeneration of of power and ability and health, that, um, so essentially, the holistic approach to, to a patient is you're essentially healthy. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on that health on that health center inside of you. And we're going to amplify that health center until it'll, it will overwhelm the negativity. Anything negative is going on in you will just overwhelm it by just strengthening the health and bombarding you with health and causing that, that health to regenerate itself and to overcome any negativity. So in the meanwhile, you're focusing on health, you're wallowing in health. It's a whole different approach to life. It's optimistic. It's, whole, it's, it's, it's dealing with the root cause, not just with the symptoms. It's, it's a whole different viewpoint and the same reality. So you can look at the person very externally, very superficially, the Western pathological approach to medicine. Or you can look at the, the, the more holistic approach. You look at the whole person, you look at the, the source, and you look at the soul, and you look at the, the person's attitude. It's all, it's all connected. So when your attitudes are positive, when you're joyful, and you're uplifted, and you're inspired, that alone will help you overcome all the negativity. The same person, the same patient. One patient dies, one person, well, one patient lives. Because one patient is optimistic, is hopeful, is enthusiastic, is filled with energy, and the other one is depressed and dejected. And, and So this is a much more inner approach. Joy comes from within. Joy is not superficial. It's not painting a smile on your face, pinching your cheeks and putting a smile on your face. Joy is something that comes from within. He's talking about genuine joy. Blessing Hashem. Genuine joy from within. It's, a, it's an attitude. It's an approach to life. It's, 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 an, it's an appreciation. And a generally positive attitude in life. And a holistic approach to life. And realizing our natural state of being is good. And godly. And our essence, core essence is godly. And our very substance is godly. And the very substance of the whole world is godly this world. So everything is essentially godly and good and wholesome and dynamic and vibrant. And the world is being recreated each and every moment. Every moment is a brand new moment, a fresh moment. God doesn't grow tired. Despite all the sin and all the treachery that has been happening in the last 55,768 years, every morning it's a brand new world. The sun shines again. God doesn't grow tired. Brand new beginning. Brand new world. Every day is a new beginning, which is one of the reasons why God created the world in the way that we all go to sleep every night. So every, every, we can experience the excitement of a new beginning. If we never slept, if life was just one long continuum, you would lose that excitement. Here, every day is a brand new day. No matter what happened yesterday, you put all your cares and concerns and all your aches and pains of yesterday, you wake up, you're refreshed. It's a brand new day. Brand new day. A whole new day. A whole new energy. 
flavor. So this is a whole new, this is a this is a whole different approach to life. You have to look at life from God's point of view, from the inside out. Instead of looking at life, a person's always depressed and dejected, sense of worthlessness. That's looking at life from the external, from the in, out, outside looking in. But when you experience life from God's point of view, the inside looking out, every day is brand new. Every day is fresh. It's filled with possibilities, filled with exciting possibilities and opportunities. And it, 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 so there's a positive outlook. There's a, and then you realize that being joyful, that's the natural state of being. And it's everything else that's unnatural, an aberration, a distortion. And it takes an inordinate amount of energy to maintain that distortion. To feel depressed takes a lot of energy. <laughs> to feel joyful is very natural. <laughs> so this, so this, was, this was the key. The Rebbe once said, someone asked the Rebbe, how are you? He says, thank God, I'm always joyful. And well, he once told one of his Hasidim, they came into the room with a very, very sad face. And Rebbe says, with depression, don't stand in my four cubits. Please, out of here. You know, don't stand in my, this is, the Rebbe's whole approach was joyful. If you ever merited, participate in one of his Fabrengans, or if you saw any, any tapes of it, the Rebbe was joyful and he wanted everyone, he caused everyone around him also. He evoked that joy and just a whole different approach to life. And when you're joyful, you can do amazing things. You can outdo yourself. You can, your mind is open, your heart is open. You can do so much more. You have an appetite for so much more. You can, you can accomplish so much more. And in a pleasant way, how you accomplish it. When you're joyful and with a smile... The way you accomplish it is also pleasant and beautiful and, you know, and, and it can really get to you. Joy can get to you. It's contagious. It can get to a person a lot more than through bitterness and tears. When you cry, you cry alone. But when you're joyful, it, it, even for yourself, it gets to you and it elevates you and inspires you and it moves you much more than than tears. So joy is an essential ingredient. It's not just a detail. It's an essential part of life. And it's an attitude. And it's something that comes from within. Something you have to cultivate and develop and realize. Maybe shift your whole perspective. Realize maybe counterintuitive. You know. Because we're so used to life, you know, life, we feel like life is dumping on us or life is so difficult. And after a while, you become hunchback. You know, you're carrying this burden around. And you're carrying this load on your chest, and it's like that. Because you feel that that's that's the, that's a natural, you know. You know the Jewish telegram. Start worrying, details to follow. <laughs> so you know that becomes a natural natural state of being. But nothing could be further than the truth. The natural state of being is the code of Jewish law begins, the opening line of the Code of Jewish Law is, you have to remember, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samin. God is constantly before me. And the last line of the Code of Jewish Law of Urachayim is, Toiv Elev Mishtatamit. That a person should always be a joyful heart, a celebrating heart. Always feel like celebrating, feel joyful, feel good about life. The two Tamits, constant. Constantly, Hashem is constantly in front of me, and you should always be joyful. And these are the two ingredients, and they go hand in hand. How can a person feel joyful? A joy that comes from within, 
a joy that warms your body and warms every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. It really, really gives you an inner sense of warmth and comfort. A real joy, not a superficial joy. I'm walking around pretending I'm joyous. I mean, a real joy. It comes from the realization that Hashem is with you and that it's God's world and it's a dynamic world. The world is alive. The world is soulful. The world is... It's good. And that's the natural state of being. And if anything else, that's, that's the aberration. That's the distortion. Of course, it has to be dealt with, but there are times to deal with it. In general, focus on the positive, focus on the good, strengthen the good, and overwhelm the negative. Overwhelm the negative. There's no room for the negative. When you're joyful, there's no, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you're not interested. Then you're not vulnerable. Then you have a healthy immune system, you can reject Whatever is thrown at you, you, you have the strength to overcome any negative. So it's not a detail. It's like your whole immune system. Your whole immune system is healthy. Then you can overcome anything. If your immune system is shot, you're vulnerable. The smallest sickness will kill you. And without joy, your immune system is shot. And you're extremely vulnerable. Okay, we're not, we'll start uh, next week. We'll start the next chapter. If anyone has any questions, we just have a few minutes. Comments, thoughts. You don't, have, you don't have to agree with anything we said. Yes. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's a medical fact, I understand. Because people who are depressed, their immune systems really are down, and they really are more vulnerable to infection. Not only that, but there's a factor in people's brains that helps the neurons flourish and branch out. And when you're depressed, that chemical is lacking. It's depleted. And when people stop being depressed, you have more of that chemical and your brains function better. So what you're saying is really medical fact now. They're discovering more and more that systems don't function well when people are depressed. Who, who was it? The uh, Norman cousin? No, who was it who cured his cancer? He, I think it was Norman. Norman. like that. Norman something. Laughter. He, he locked himself up in the hotel room. The doctor said he was, you know, he only had a few months to live. He had a, a incurable cancer, and um, he locked himself up in the hotel room. <laughs> Took out some good comedies, and he laughed himself to health. And he wrote a whole book about it. There's there's uh, a whole lot of people now who are writing about healthy diets and not eating junk food and eating basically. Um, no hydrogenated fats, no sugar, and people are getting healthier based on these much simpler diets, no junk food. And uh, people are recovering from all kinds of things with this. You can't take it that anything will get better, but a lot, in general, you'll be a lot healthier with it. And sometimes things get a lot better. So it's just interesting that the time it was right on. <laughs> Why are we surprised? It's a sense of surprise that, oh, look, it, it really happens. Well, because this, for a long time, people didn't know this. and So then the, the, the belief system was not that great. Because here it is, written hundreds of years ago. Yeah, and now that a, a doctor comes around and says, "Oh, you know, this is a fact," it's, it's, it's a nice, a nice confirmation that nice confirmation. Nice confirmation. A, that even the scientist in his world sees the truth of 
Because the Torah is truth. So it's truth in all levels. It's not just in, in the Torah world. You expect to find confirmation in every, every field. Because if it's a truth, then it's a truth in every area. It's consistent. It's just nice to see the consistency. Okay, to be continued.